And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The race is on, and with launches and testing done and dusted, it's time to look ahead to the real action starting in this weekend's Bahrain Grand Prix. But can anyone beat Max Verstappen? How strong will Mercedes be? And are Aston Martin really as quick as they look? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer all the key pre-season questions are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, welcome back to the podcast in full-time form. Obviously, we've had your little drop-in timing analysis from your spreadsheet bunker where you've been hunkered down in testing. So uh, looking forward to getting getting to some proper racing and, and not having to be in a darkened room all day. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty intense, uh, trying to uh, get every lap of every car over three days. And uh, yeah, sort of... Uh, Little green numbers just disappearing. You know, when I close my eyes to go to sleep, little green numbers forever just rotating around and disappearing off in the distance. But um, yeah, hopefully we've been able to sort of collate them and, and make some sort of uh, sense out of them. So yeah, and and just for a little uh, peek behind the curtain, um, I got sight of uh, one of uh, Mark's incredible master documents on the final day. And when we say he logs every single lap, that's not a that's not an exaggeration of he you know he's charting the long runs and and that every single lap is logged just in case it come it ends up coming to mean something. So it's a it's a very dil- diligent exercise, Mark. I'm glad it, it, I, you can have it. You can keep it for for future tests as well. I, I'm not in a rush to try and take that off you. It's the kind of thing I've done at times in the past, and it's very high intensity. You can't look away for a moment. So, yeah, very relieved it was Mark who was lumbered with that this year and obviously brought us some excellent long-run analysis. But obviously the season is approaching very, very rapidly. We're just a few days away from practice starting and all these questions being answered. But obviously, Mark, Verstappen and Red Bull head into Bahrain as favourites, don't they? But now that dust has settled on testing, 
Can you quantify how strong a position we think they're in? Very strong. Um, I mean, they, what was notable, apart from the, just the, the sheer pace, was just how smooth their program looked. And as soon as the car hit the track, it was quick. Um, all three days, it, as soon as it went out. And uh, when Checo got in it, he got straight into a long run, which is, it turns out to be a very, very quick long run. Um, I, you got the sense that it was all a bit of a you know, a bit of a cruise for them that they were so on top of the game. Um, there's even suggestions that they'd actually turn things down on the on the, the, the second day um, because they were so confident of where they were at. Um, on raw pace, they've got at least a couple of tenths to the best of the rest, um, just on a single lap. From what we saw, from what we saw, on, on you know, there's, there's no saying that others might not make progress between the 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 final day of testing and uh, as we get into the race weekend later in this week, but yeah, just going off what we saw, they've got a they've got a very handy couple of tenths in hand over the best of the rest, maybe even a little bit more. And it makes for a fairly straightforward discussion, doesn't it, Scott? Because we don't really have many question marks over Max Verstappen, probably not any really anymore. We know how that team will work with Sergio Perez very much the support act, and he didn't look quite as comfortable in the car as Verstappen. So it could be a very nice, relatively relaxed start to the season for Verstappen and a good chance, I guess, to build an early margin. Yeah, I feel like we go into the new season knowing pretty much where Red Bull stands, whereas I think pretty much every team I can think of, there's a question mark of of some kind. Maybe the only question here is exactly how big that advantage will be. And as you sort of allude to there, Ed, what kind of advantage will that afford them? Early on, I, I've been saying this every time we've discussed the uh, the penalty that they've taken on the ATR side with the wind tunnel time and the CFD work, that if they start the season like they finished last year, anything like that, they could build up a really, really nice buffer at the front. So by the time that penalty should theoretically kick in, because I would imagine it would be the balancing of in-season development and switching focus to the 2024 car that would have the biggest... Um, if there is to be a tangible effect, that would be the biggest one. But you're not going to see that if they've if they've nailed it so well with the the RB19. What if they just have to really attack the first half of the season? They don't have to worry about that. The championship just takes care of itself, and then they can switch to 24 early, which mitigates the the consequence of losing wind tunnel time and CFD work. And honestly, on the evidence of what we've seen so far, with the fact that Verstappen basically wasn't even trying to hide how happy he was. You know, normally we're in that sort of mood of testing where people are playing things down. They don't want to let on too much. It's all, we'll see what happens next week. Talk of like little niggling problems here and there. There was none of that with Red Bull. They they just seemed to like confidence was just pouring out of them. So what's the point of hiding the fact that you've had a brilliant test? So I am a bit concerned from a, just purely from a competitive point of view, I am worried that, that that we go into the start of the season with Red Bull looking at not just, oh, can we win the first race, but actually, can we dominate this first part of the season? Yeah, that becomes a massively virtuous circle for them, doesn't it? And historically, Mark, it's very hard to catch teams that make strong starts because generally, if you make a strong start, you're going to have a pretty competitive car through the season, whatever happens. But although there's reasons to expect Ferrari and Mercedes to improve as the season goes on, 
Red Bull can just be in such a relaxed position, not just in terms of development, but also when you have that cushion, it's just easier, isn't it? Because you don't have to take big risks. You can just sit on that lead and manage it. So do you imagine that's what they're thinking, that they can just make hay early on? I know it's a lot of races, a lot of points, but they could basically win the championship or put themselves in an almost impregnable position really early on. I think that's probably going to be their default position, you know, the the, the thing that they can all rely on to fall back upon. But knowing knowing Red Bull and the way they are, I would think they're optimistic that they can maintain a performance superiority regardless um, of the, the various restrictions put upon them. And you wouldn't put it past them. But yes, you're right. Historically, that has been um, a very common thing to, to, to see. We saw it in 2005 with Alonso. He got a, a great start of the season with Renault. And even though the McLaren was coming on, stronger as the faster car through the season. It, 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 he, he wasn't able to make up what Alonso had uh, established early on. He saw it um, with Jensen Button, Braun in 2009. Uh, you know, he's, he's the Red Bull on that occasion came on to become the stronger car, but given itself too much to do. Um, so, yeah, you, you can you can be thinking that if you're Red Bull, you can be thinking, well, let's let's not worry too much, but if Ferrari or Mercedes or Aston Martin or whoever find something that, that leapfrog, leap, leapfrogs them ahead, then, you know, as, as long as we've built up a nice cushion, we should still think, have things under control. But, um, yeah, as I say, I would, I would fancy, I would fancy they'll, they'll still be pushing to, uh, you, they'll still be quite aggressive regardless of the, the restrictions put upon them because that's, that's just how they are. There's a second element to this that I think is probably worth a brief discussion, which is that as we go into the second year of a rule set, I'm looking, I'm sort of searching in my memory bank. And if I think about the recent regulation changes, when there have been them, whether it's car or engine, there are very few examples of, in normal circumstances, a team that starts a rule set on the front foot does tend to have that neat advantage. And I'm thinking now of whether Red Bull and Mercedes have almost swapped positions from where they were in 2017 when there was a rule change. And there were a few years where Red Bull would get stronger through the year playing catch-up, end the year in a quite a good position. But by that point, Mercedes have basically switched off a little bit, focused on next year. So you get to the start of the next season and it's the same position again. And I'm wondering if with everything Red Bull's been able to do, that's where they are in in 2023 because obviously they had the titles wrapped up so early last season so they 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 came onto the 23 project so much earlier than they had done the 22 project when even though they were preparing for new rules they were fighting for the 2021 championship down to the wire so push development as aggressively as possible and i think you see that with the 23 car it, it's a really nice aggressive evolution of what existed at the end of last season which was already the best car they're focused on taking all the weight out of it that they wanted. So there's just no, there's no obvious reason for me to see Red Bull having slipped up from their position at the top and therefore the opportunity for the others to catch up, I think is quite minimal. And obviously I think at the moment we're relying on Ferrari perhaps being fractionally stronger. Ferrari looked good, but not quite at Red Bull's level. And also Scott, it's obviously new look Ferrari with Fred Vasseur at the helm. What do you make of this new era and the approach to the season? How good shape is Ferrari in? In reasonable shape. I mean, just to talk about testing very briefly, 
there's a reason that we got we, we knew a, we know a little bit less about Ferrari at this stage than we do Red Bull because of the programs. And Ferrari went into testing deliberately, basically ignoring putting the softest tires on for the end of the day when it's more representative for the race week, but also quicker. For example, on the final day, they set their two fastest times of the week in the morning, I think within like half an hour of running starting, and then right at the start of the afternoon as well. So bang in the daytime when the tracks, when the ambient and track temperatures are both really hot. So yes, they were obviously nowhere near the the, the, the sharp end in terms of headline pace. And yes, I think it's more concerning where they were on the long runs, which was a little bit off. But there was a bigger question mark over where actually the Ferrari is than say the Red Bull. That's what I was saying earlier. Like you're just, it's very, I feel like we've got a very good idea of where Red Bull's at, which is very, very strong. And Ferrari is sort of somewhere in the vicinity behind it, whether it's close or a bit further than it wants to be, we won't find out for a few more days. It's quite tricky to know what to expect from Ferrari. The only thing I would say is that there's been there is obviously evidence of a few changes that needed to be made that Vassil's come in and there's a bit of disagreement over whether these are emphatically his changes or he is carrying out a few things that Bonotto had in mind Mattia Bonotto had in mind for 2023 before he left the team at the end of last year but you have a rejig of who's in charge of strategy track side there's a short, there's a smaller number of uh, people on the pit wall because he wants to make communication more straightforward, and it's just about making Ferrari a bit more of a leaner, more efficient organization, which is all well and good, but it only addresses a small part of the deficiency from last year. So until we see it in action, you're not going to see how much Ferrari has addressed any of the weaknesses of 23. You're not going to see whether the car's good enough. We're not going to know whether. The strategic team is acting better. We're not going to know if their in-season development is stronger. And we don't really know either if they have definitely cured their reliability problems that allow the engine to be pushed hard. So just we're assuming that Ferrari is the nearest challenger. And I think there's re good reason for that. But where it is behind Red Bull is absolutely anyone's guess at the moment. Well, trying to take a more positive look at it in terms of people who want to see a good close fight at the front. Do you think there is scope for Ferrari maybe surprising in Bahrain? Could they, you're just program-wise, been shrouding a bit more of that pace? Or do you think the data is about as conclusive as it can be for pre-season testing? Oh, it's always possible. But I, no, my, my good feeling is that what we're seeing was, was you know, re reflection of the, the, the real picture. And if anything, if if uh, the rumours about Red Bull turning things down on the the second day were true, uh, you know, it might even be bigger than than we saw. So, I, I think the the Ferrari looks a good, solid car. It's a slightly different in its um, the emphasis that they've placed on downforce and drag this year. Um, so they're it's it's sort of they've they've tried to make move more towards how the Red Bull was last year in terms of the that trade off. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I didn't see anything to suggest that actually, you know, if, if they just put it all together, it's, it's, it's as fast as a Red Bull. It did. There was nothing suggesting that, um, it's not far away, but it, it is a way it, 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 there was nothing suggesting that it wasn't just a little bit of drift. Scott, are you expecting a slightly better start to the season for Carlos Sainz up against Charles Leclerc? I think so. Um, as I understand it. Carlos went into the winter 
very, very determined to, to, to work on certain weaknesses or things that he felt he needed to improve, whether that was in himself, whether that was the way he processed things, whether that was what the way he worked within the team. I think there are a few things that he's looked to address. And it sounds like even by his standards, because Carlos is a lovely guy, but he's also super, super intense. And it sounds like even by his standards, he had a an intense winter. So he's come back. There's a maybe a little bit of extra focus about him. I don't know if either of you really heard um, some of the TV interviews he'd done afterwards, but like he's, he's basically saying, saying very, very little. Whereas Carlos is... A bit usually a bit more sort of like open and uh, approachable than that but this it just felt very it, it just felt so singular in focus it, it was just yep it's a good start but let's see didn't really want to veer away from that at all and there were also some suggestions that he maybe gelled with the car a little bit better than Leclerc did over the uh, certainly initially over the three days but I think Leclerc got there in the end and I think some of Leclerc's running might have been masked a little bit by Ferrari were what by by all accounts evaluating quite a wide range of setup options. They explored a very wide r- window of uh, ways that they could run the car, and I think the ones that didn't work might have been when Leclerc was driving. So that that could easily have disguised things. But I I think Signs can get back to where he was in twenty one in terms of his consistency and. If he can end the season, if he can start this season sort of more like the way he ended it last year, not let Leclerc have a few months basically of being much more comfortable, then I think Sainz could be in for a good season up against him because I don't think there's a huge amount between them. I think Leclerc is the slightly faster driver, but Sainz is a fantastic all-round operator. Um, so I, I think it would be I, it's easy to underrate him, but I think it would be a mistake too. Yeah, and Sainz knows what he needs to do, I think, if he is to be able to be on terms with Charles Leclerc. And he did hint at a few things he's done in his approach to testing this year to make sure he's not on the back foot, and I'm sure he'll start this year much more strongly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk about Mercedes now, Mark. Everything points to Lewis Hamilton and George Russell having a slightly slow start to the season by the lofty standards set by a team that we expect to be fighting for wins. What do we know about its situation heading into the season? Uh, two things. They have cured the bouncing problem. Um, they have, the race suspension that they redesigned that they couldn't do last year has uh, fixed that. Um, but it seems that the, um, the the move to the the new front Pirelli tyres has really initially, at any rate, caught Mercedes a little bit on the hop, and that the car was uh, it, it had a significant oversteer problem through much of the. The running there, they made a lot of improvement by the final day, though, and were looking quite respectable. But it, it, you sort of got the impression that that final day is where they would have hoped to have started on the first day, and and they were just a little sort of half a step behind in their program, really. So, um, given all that, I think the there is reason to 
believe that they will be closer than they showed and that uh, what they showed was yeah, probably around half a second off a, off a Red Bull pace and a, a couple of tenths off a Ferrari pace. But um, they, they're on a quite a steep part of the improvement curve. So let's see where that levels out. But yeah, not, not a straightforward three days for Mercedes at all. And that middle day in particular, they, they, they looked lost. But I think looking ahead at the prospects of the season, um, you know, they, 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 there's reason for hope that it'll be a, at least a, a semi-competitive car, a more, a more competitive car than last year's, certainly. Yeah, they're certainly the team that perhaps looks like they can expect to take the biggest step between testing and Bahrain in that they didn't get the most out of their car. That's, of course, contingent on them really understanding what they need to do. So that's the question. And fundamentally, this is what is at the heart of Mercedes prospects this year. Do they understand everything about the way the car's working? Is it working as it's supposed to? Is it just a question of adapting to a few unexpected things and then they're away or there's some more fundamental problems to fix? But... I don't think we can rule out Mercedes this season, can we, Scott? They're going to need to work pretty hard early on. But if they can get a winning car later on, yeah, they'll be in that catch-up position. But it's kind of in the balance, isn't it? We can't rule them out, even though they're not ruled in yet. Well, I know it's unlikely that Red Bull are going to have two DNFs in the first three races. You can guarantee that they'll have made sure that they know when they're going to hit fuel problems after <laughs> yes. failing to prepare properly for Bahrain last year. Yeah, and the exactly. Fuel cavitation I, would ima- I would imagine that there would have been pre- maybe a few more um, basically dry tank runs at the end of testing this year. Um, but let's let's assume, obviously, that the Rebel will finish more races at the start of the year than they did a year ago. Mercedes can't quite afford to have the the real up and down start they had last season whereby they would have, for example, Lewis Hamilton starting off with a podium, but then was he was knocked out. It was at Q1 or Q2, it was Q1 or Q2 wasn't it, in, in, in Jeddah. Really, like, really, really bad um, performance there. Then sort of much more respectable in Melbourne, um, but then go to Europe and sort of struggle again. So really topsy-turvy. If... Mercedes can go through the first three or four races with both cars ideally in the top five, then you're not going to lose so much ground that it's impossible to catch up. And all the talk at the launch was about evolving the car. There there was definitely an air of, we might not start the season exactly where we want to be, but we've got great faith in this concept and in this car that we will be able to develop to where we want to be. And if that's the case, then you're looking at early season upgrades to maybe get them onto Rebels level or make them much more of a, of a threat. So the clock will be ticking if they don't start the season in regular podium and possibly race win contention. But just because they don't qualify in the front two rows in Bahrain or don't finish on the podium in Bahrain or they're half a minute behind the Red Bull in Bahrain. It doesn't mean that they're out of the championship picture. It just means that they probably, it probably just justifies a feeling they already had that they needed to work really hard to get into this championship fight. And it just, just validates the feeling that they're just on the back foot. Uh, It does make life harder, but if the car is fundamentally more sound than last year, we know what this organisation is capable of, and we know how valuable last year was in terms of the lessons that they went through to 
sharpen the 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 tools in their toolbox to broaden their understanding of this new rule cycle and all of the aerodynamic principles that you have to adhere to there's no reason why that organization cannot develop that car into a into a title contender if it has the potential to and that is an enormous if yeah that's the big big question there i think mercedes will probably be slightly disappointed by not looking stronger heading into the season although it may not completely surprise them but i guess that's the big question isn't it mark are we convinced that they've got a good handle on their car concept and their approach again they're, they're standing i know they've moved a little bit more in the uh, in the common direction but they're still kind of standing alone with certain aspects of their approach so there's a lot of stake for them and it, it still feels like it could go either way yes um i mean they've, they've had faith in the um the sort of aerodynamics of well around the side pod that that that's where it's very distinctive isn't it with the sort of vertical inlets and the the way that the side pods are shaped from their back um they insist that that wasn't the car's problem last year and that the the fundamental problem that they, was a mechanical one which they fixed um let's see uh, you know they, they it would be worrying if they'd decided to um like just abandon that follow a red bull philosophy and turn up at the first race and we're off the pace but they've stuck with it and we'll just see how this plays out but it is it's it's quite intriguing yeah very much so like i say could go either way and there'll be some big questions to answer if this is another difficult season even if it's not for quite as extreme reasons and in fact on the subject of a season needing to be better let's get on to grid rival because we are excited to announce that we've once again got a partnership with grid rival for our 2023 fancy f1 league grid rivals the fastest growing fantasy and real money gaming platform dedicated exclusively to motorsports and we like what they're doing so the contracts format of their game is a quite well-balanced mix. You can enjoy it as a casual player, but also for a more hardcore F1 fan, there's plenty of interesting features. And last year, it certainly made our experience watching F1 more exciting, even if Scott did end up beating me over the course of the season. Battered you. I didn't beat you. I smashed you. Yeah, you say that, but should be noted, I switched focus to 2023 much, much earlier than you. You burned up more resources on 22, so... Let's see how things work you, you, out when you it can, you can say that all you like, but you were such an inferior and feeble opponent last year. I was able to bat you in the second half of the season without having to try. So I actually, the joke's on you. I beat you last year and I was able to switch focus to 2023. So you're in trouble. Well, let's see how things go this year. And of course, you pick five drivers and one constructor. You can sign each element for one to five races. So a good bit of strategy. And there's some good value options at the start of the season. Looking at the price list, Scott, Fernando Alonso at 17.4 million, you have a 100 million budget. He's got to be the first name on the team sheet for pretty much everyone, especially as you can double points him at that price. Yeah, well, I'll, uh, I'll give you this bit of advice for free, Ed. I will have Fernando Alonso in my team, I am sure, unless there is something, some kind of hint from free practice in Bahrain that actually the Aston is a, a total pig of a car. And for some reason in testing, we've all just been totally, totally hoodwinked. Um, but there's... Um, there's some other like little budget options. I like the idea of uh, Nico Hulkenberg as a little bit of an enabler. I think he's up for for nine million. So um, yeah, I think I I think I'll have a little bit of the Hulk in in, in my lineup as well. Yeah, and there's a few. I mean, Aston Martin connected to Alonso there, good value at thirteen point. Yeah, million. but I don't know if they're going to have two drivers scoring points in the first few races, even if 
even if that car is great, because obviously there's still a bit of an uncertainty about Lance Stroll. If he does come back for the first race or the second or third race, what's his fitness going to be like? How prepared is he going to be having missed preseason testing? If Felipe Drogovic is standing in for him, can Felipe nail it on his F1 debut? I'm a bit, I'm much more convinced about Alonso as a great lower price individual option than I am Aston Martin as a team option. And if you want to go bargain basement, I think the Williams driver, certainly Alex Albon or Williams as a constructor, I think are a little bit better than last year. Because I think at the start of the season, you're always looking for people who are slightly undervalued because they didn't do quite as well. So, for example, if you're going to get... I've got a cheeky bit of joke on you in my draft at the moment. Not ridiculous, not ridiculous. I mean, I'm looking at the Mercedes drivers. George Russell is... 2.8 million more expensive than Hamilton. So you go Hamilton in that case. Likewise, Leclerc and Sainz, there's a big offset, 4.2 million offset. Sainz is cheaper. So you need to look at that. I think probably you'll get value out of taking Verstappen over Perez, which is a 2.8 million gap. But that's one of the things I think to be looking at when you've got those slightly bargain drivers. I'd probably warn against anybody McLaren, although I wouldn't bet against Lando Norris doing something a little bit more than you might expect. But yeah, avoid McLaren, probably avoid... Alpha Tauri, certainly go Hass over Alpha Tauri. Williams, a nice cheap option. Alpine, a sort of risky option there, the fourth most expensive team. Look like it could be quite good. So I think it's all about how you balance up your risks. And are you going to have Verstappen for the start? Yeah, I think so. I think it's uh, foolish not to. Yeah, it becomes very, very difficult to, not to have him. But it's it's important at the start as well to work out how much you want to lock yourself in because obviously you lock in the the value if you have a, f- a five race stretch with somebody really good that's great but if you have someone who's a bit more dicey you might want to go for a couple of races just to see how things start out so there's lots of different ways of approaching it and there's loads of different ways to score points as well it's not just about where you qualify and where you finish but there's overtake points improvement points beating teammate points and race distance completion points so lots of ways to score there And we've got a league exclusively for followers of the race. So click the link in the description and connect and compete with like-minded fans. And once you're in, you'll be able to take advantage of the league's built-in chat functionality or engage with Grid Rivals founders in the quickly growing Discord community. And for US users in select states, you can also play daily games with real money on the line, a feature that will soon be available in the UK. And join our league for an even more exciting season in 2023 and have the chance to be beaten by me and to beat Scott, because that's the way I'm expecting it to go. Well, talking of Aston Martin, Scott, we've just said they're the the bargaining grid rival, but they were the sensation of testing. So does it mean Fernando Alonso has actually made a well-timed move to a team that is going to be a little stronger than expected this year? Yeah, I I, I think there's um I think it's a good opportunity for that. I think one of the things that is a little bit of an unknown is just exactly where that car ends up when everyone's on sort of the same level because um the it was that it was the long run pace and the way it looked on track on longer runs that obviously caught the eye. I'm always a little bit skeptical when we're up, we are basing it on basically a hypothetical leap forward that a team will make. It's the same with Alpine when you're looking at them and say, okay, they're clearly not the slowest car, but how far forward will they go? Well, you've got an idea, but you don't know for certain Aston Martin's like that, but from the other sort of a bit sort of further up. So if it does work as well as expected, then I think Alonso could be starting the season with uh, an outside chance of podiums. And, and so I don't necessarily mean qualifying third and fourth, third or fourth and really, really hounding the top three and locking down one of those positions like that. But 
can I see a, an Alonso-led Aston Martin on the first three rows of the grid and then a bit of stealth or opportunism or just raw Alonso determination dragging that car into the top three? If the car is at the upper end of what it looked like in testing, I can absolutely see that happening. The only caveat I've got is... I like the Aston Martin. They've clearly made a step. It's all looking good there. But I do have question marks about whether that team can be quite strong as it looked in terms of there's a certain level of potential for that team with what it's got at the moment. And that does seem to be overachieving. But this is the team that perennially overachieved. So I guess that's the interesting question mark. Do you think that this really could be a car that is where it looks like it's going to be and then sustain that? Or do you think that it's more likely to regress to sort of being maybe the best of the midfield, perhaps even in a gap between the uh, the top teams in the midfield, certainly once Mercedes has sorted itself out? I, I'm a bit more bullish about their prospects, certainly in the early part of the season, because it looked like they were in um, position to run quickly, uh, certainly uh, earlier than Mercedes were, and maybe Ferrari too. And they were, it wasn't just on the long runs. I mean, they, were, they, they did their soft tyre runs at different times of the day, but so you didn't have a direct comparison. But I saw nothing to suggest that the Aston Martin wasn't about two-tenths faster than a Mercedes and very much on par with Ferrari, as just as things stand. Now, yeah, those teams have probably got... a more headroom in which to develop and maybe we just see in the Aston Martin you know near its potential earlier um but if that's the case then you know is it unthinkable for a, a Alonso to be battling with Sergio Perez in the second Red Bull as, as Verstappen presumably disappears off in the distance. I, no, I, I think we might see something like that and certainly in the early races um I agree that the um the likelihood of that being sustained so early in, in the, the the team's development is probably lower than than the, what, what that level may be earlier in the season. But no, I, th- I think um, the, this these first few races may be the 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 strongest part of the the, the team season, and I think um, Alonso will be absolutely attuned to that and determined to make the most of it. I, I really do think that we might see something quite special from them. And and I would I would throw it back at you, Ed, and, and just ask, why not? Because, okay, I appreciate that this is more refined than just copying a Red Bull, but the last time that this organisation copied the best car on the grid, they had the second or third fastest car in Formula 1 and were able to score podium finishes and even win a race. It was two, two or three years ago. Why, why can't they do that again? Yeah, well, it's 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 not quite the clone that that car was. There are some differences in that in the way the Aston Martin's done, but it's just purely in terms of the ultimate potential of the team where it is now. If Aston Martin, we're basically debating whether Aston Martin is going to be right at the top of where maybe I thought their limit was for this year, or they've exceeded it. So even if they're kind of at the worst possible end of what we're talking about, they've still done a brilliant job, and that's massively positive for, for them going forward. But I just think of it in terms of ultimate performance potential, in terms of the resources you've got, etc. And I think at this stage, there's no reason why, if they are all getting the same amount percentage of their potential extracted, for Aston Martin to be ahead of of the likes of Mercedes and Dyson with Ferrari, maybe they are. But I think for me, it's important to say that if we go there and they're only the lead midfielder, 
that's still a really good effort from Aston Martin. Whatever happens, whatever happens in Bahrain this weekend, provided they're even at the basement of what you think they could achieve, this is a brilliant foundation for that team. And really, it feels like the real start for that team starting to get to where it needs to be. Even if they just got ahead of McLaren, if you looked at their position at the end of last year, I think they were the... I think they were the sixth best team in F1 by the end of last year. Obviously, it didn't quite get that in the, in the championship. But I think it was only Alpine and McLaren in that midfield that they looked above them and thought, OK, we need to try and chase those down. Getting ahead of one of those would have been a good result for Aston Martin this year. You look at them and you, you arguably, they're actually a bit they're behind, inferior to McLaren in terms of infrastructure for now. They're working on something super stunning with with the new factory and all the facilities that they want there. But of that midfield trio, they're in the worst place currently. So for them to get ahead of one of those would already have been a really good achievement. If they get ahead of both and fail to crack the top three, that's still a fantastic achievement. Absolutely. But it's more for me, the hint from testing is just that there is a chance that one of the biggest teams might have stumbled a little bit with Mercedes or, or not stumbled necessarily, but maybe just still be figuring things out, which then does lower their bar. And let's face it, Ferrari has been underachieving to a greater or lesser extent for about 15 years in Formula One. So why would they suddenly have stopped underachieving to, to, a, to a certain degree? And that's where that opportunity lies. I think that of the big teams... Only Red Bull hasn't dropped the ball in, in in some way or hasn't hit its absolute potential in some way. Whether Ferrari's at 99.9% of what it can achieve, I think Red Bull is basically at 100. I th- get the impression that Aston Martin might be closer to 100% of what it can achieve than Ferrari is at what it can achieve, as, as an example. And obviously Mercedes, that goes for them as well. Yeah, and certainly it'd be great if they can get a big result straight away early in the season. Obviously, there's a lot to look forward to for that team. They're moving into their new factory that was scheduled for for May. Maybe it'll slip into June, I'm not sure. They've got the new wind tunnel that's being built. That'll be online next year. So there's a lot to be excited about for Aston Martin. And yeah, it'd be nice for them to get a boost because it's been a tough couple of years for them. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We'll get back to the pod in a moment, but first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. 
Well, let's talk about McLaren now, Mark, because one of the storylines that's been picking up momentum of late is Lando Norris and his long-term ambitions. He didn't look very happy during testing. Obviously, he's contracted to McLaren to the end of 25. But how concerned do you think he'll be about the state of McLaren heading into the season? And how worried should the team be about him getting restless, given this McLaren doesn't seem to have solved the problems they were having last year? And right now, they're looking like they don't have a chance of being the lead midfielder, which is what their ambition should be. Yeah, there'll be great concern all around for all those points that you mentioned. And, um, you know, not only was it not looking a, a great car and it still seemed to have the, the, the sort of handling bugbears of, of the previous car, uh, the previous two or three cars, it, um, it, it had a, another fundamental reliability issue, not exactly the same as last year's brake cooling issue, but it looked like it might have been related to heat and that the, um, the winglets above the front wheels, the, 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 the wheel browsers are sometimes called, um, kept failing. Now, that presumably is not just a structural problem because it was purely structural. You could just beef it up and run it a bit heavier for the purposes of the test. It looked as though it, it may have been the, the the bonding may have been coming apart from, and that suggests that it, it is something to do with heat from the brakes. So, the brakes themselves weren't the problem this time, but the the, the heat that was coming out from there looks as though it may have created that um, problem, which restricted their running a lot, and prevented them from getting in proper race simulations and they did very, very interrupted running, particularly on the final day. So it wasn't even as if they'd made progress with the issue through the weekend. It was was there all the time. Um, Very much like the start last year. Um, So... Yeah, that's not that's not a great start and it, it, it's worrying. And it, it makes makes you wonder, if you put all those things together and combine them with the the sort of untraceable aero problem they seem to have with the front end of the car, it makes you question, is there something fundamental in the in the modeling, in the processes, in the wind tunnel, which is catching them out, which they're still not on top of. Because this is all about airflow around the front of the car, whether whether you're talking of a heat dissipation, whether you're talking of a, a downforce creation, it, it it's all it's still it's still based on airflow around the front of the car, and that does seem to be the problem area with every McLaren of the last few years. So yeah, very very worrying and, and, and puzzling. Yeah, and that is an absolutely crucial area in terms of the understanding of the underlying science. Obviously, open-wheel racing cars, the rotating front wheel is a very, very complicated area, hugely complex. And this was an area that McLaren was supposed to be improving on over the years in terms of building that understanding. And if there is a, a, a big limitation there in what, what they've understood, what they know, what they can simulate, that's going to be a pretty much a hard blockade to them joining that front group. You know, we can talk about the new wind tunnel, et cetera, this, that, and the other. You know, there's new infrastructure coming. Great. That does raise their potential. But the understanding and knowledge that you apply to it is key. It's not going to, like you switch on the wind tunnel, and it's going to tell you straight away, oh, actually, this is the case. You go, oh, okay. It just doesn't work like that. So I think, Scott, that makes this upgrade package they're talking about for Race 4 really important, doesn't it? Because that's the thing that will show whether they're kind of grasping for something and don't really know, or whether actually, even though they've come to it a bit late, they have worked out what's gone wrong. Yeah, so I had doubts about where McLaren would start this season anyway, because they started last year on the back foot. They made good progress through the year, but I still don't think they ever got to a point of having a genuinely faster car than Alpine. And there was some talk at the end of last year already playing down expectations for 23 in terms of the the added resource that they'd lost through the year in terms of 
they were playing catch up from the start with the brake problems last year and the fact that that delayed developing the 2022 car meant that there were also delays getting onto the 23 car. They had less engineering resource than they realized they needed because of how they'd shrunk the team to, to get ready for the cost cap. And it all added up to it, McLaren just having the air of a team that just wasn't quite on top of things for this set of regulations. And like I said earlier about the lead teams, I just think at the start of a new rule cycle, it does set the tone. That's why I think that, that's why I always said I, my gut feeling would be that Alpine would be the team to beat in the midfield because of where they ended last year. So with McLaren, my concern is that, or rather not my concern, my my, my feeling for them is that they, they got to a point at the end of last year where they just acknowledged that they hadn't done a good enough job and they basically changed direction. So... I give them the benefit of the doubt with the with the upgrade because and we might have talked about this when we did our McLaren episode during during testing the logic behind why what they've got wrong and how they're addressing it is fairly solid it's not that yes there might be this underlying limitation on their understanding of everything with the aerodynamics that, that could well be there. But it sounds like the reason they've messed up basically the start of 2023 is because they went down the wrong route, stopped and changed direction. So of course, this car's not going to be very good because they realized it was a problematic direction to follow. And it has, and, and this is a version of that concept from two or three months ago. So it's an old, it's an old version of the wrong concept basically. So the new car that arrives, maybe in Azerbaijan, maybe a race earlier, if they can get everything out to Melbourne, I don't know. But probably sometime in April should be a lot better, purely because it follows a different development path. But the potential within that might not be reached if the team has these weaknesses that you're talking about. That, and that's where the concern lies. So the logic of the upgrade working is fine, but do they actually have the capacity to deliver on it? That's the big question they need to answer. It's funny, during the test, uh, Andreas still had a little press conference in which I asked him what targets have they failed to hit? Because Zach Brown had said that. And he said, well, actually, we set a load of targets and we pretty much hit all of them. The one we haven't is aerodynamic efficiency. <laughs> I don't know what you made of that, Mark, but obviously, mm. in terms of targets for your F1 car, <laughs> aerodynamic efficiency yeah. is it's not absolutely everything, but it's its a pretty it's, big it's, chunk of your performance, yeah. isn't it? It's, 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 yeah, it's pretty much the uh, the number one thing that you've got to hit, really. So, um, yeah, missing that one, but getting all the other one doesn't really suggest that it's a great car. Yeah, well, hopefully that upgrade will improve things for them. If not, it's going to be a long, hard season. There will be some questions asked about Lando Norris and by Lando Norris because he's been doing a very, very good job. And I think he probably flattered McLaren last year with how well he was able to hang on to that car that he said was often on a, on a knife edge. So he's a driver a lot of other teams would be interested in. Let's delve into the rest of the midfield now, Mark. Are there any storylines there that are grabbing your attention? Yeah, I think the midfield has fundamentally changed from what we've got familiar with over the last two or three years. I think Aston Martin definitely and Alpine probably um, have transcended it. And I think they're, 
they are potential. No, I'm not as confident saying this about Alpine as Aston Martin, because but they they had a very funny run plan, so it's hard to decipher it. But if if it is as it suggests, I would say Alpine are no longer in that battle. They they they've moved up among that upper echelons, along with Mercedes and Ferrari, the, 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 that sort of territory potentially. And I think the actual midfield is comprised of. Haas, Alpha, McLaren, with um, Williams and Alpha Tari hanging off the back of it at the moment, but um, Williams at least probably close enough to it that it, it could um, it could join in. So yeah, I think the the, the midfield is is moved in its composition. It, that that's just how it looked from testing. It's obviously it's, it's you can't rely too much on on that, but just looking at the numbers, that's that's what it suggests. Yeah, I I. I quite I quite like that and I, I agree because I feel like we've moved into almost a different kind of class A class B split with sort of two groups within those respective classes so you've got your stab and the way it splits is basically the teams that I would expect to be fighting for points at every basically in the points in every single race and then the teams that will be trying to get into the points if they can so that sort of class A is now your big three teams plus Aston plus Alpine probably. And the gaps between Red Bull and Ferrari and probably Mercedes and the other two will be quite an interesting one. But then I do think there is a, there is a step from your Aston Alpine kind of team to what I think is probably Alfa Romeo and Haas and maybe Alfa Tauri or Alpha Tauri is part of the real back of the pack group with McLaren and Williams. And actually does feel like a bit more of a delineation between the teams in that midfield group than there have been last year, for example, or 2021, where you could have picked four or five teams and said, I genuinely do not know which will be quickest of these on a given weekend. That might still be the case, but I think that now applies to teams six through 10. Whereas I, I feel like we're going into the season with the top five teams looking a bit clearer. It becomes roughly akin to like in a road cycling race where you've got a lead pack and then there's a point where in the peloton, a few people mount an attack and it feels like maybe Aston Martin's charge up the road and Alpine's having a bit of a go as well. And then there's sort of Alfa Romeo struggling to decide whether it joins it or whether it's just going to stay in the, in the group. So I guess in a way, this sort of thing was inevitable because we were expecting that gap to gradually start closing. So it's logical that it's the most capable teams in the midfield that take a bit of a lurch forward first. Well, it's actually it's actually what I would have expected to happen, but with Aston Martin in place of McLaren, because there's no excuse for McLaren to have fallen back the way it has. It definitely shouldn't be as far behind Aston Martin as it appears to be. And it's almost like Aston have just gone. Oh, you don't you don't want that place? Yeah, fine. Okay, we'll um we'll we'll step into it. Like if they if they're as far up as we think they are, then they're well ahead of schedule. But they've still retained that because the midfield was going that way, wasn't it? With, with last year, for example, McLaren and Alpine, that was it was a two horse race for for fourth. So it's been going this way anyway with that split in the midfield. It just feels a bit more sort of crystallized now. Yeah, and how about the overall? competitive spread market feels like there's overall just going to be a slight close up in the field doesn't like it's going to be a massive bit but maybe just tighten up that little bit as we start to get this hoped for convergence 
Yes, I think so. I think like last year was something like 1.8, 1.9 seconds from front to back. I'd say it's more like a second and a half on the on the evidence of Bahrain, but has Red Bull got something in hand and then we get to the first race and we suddenly find out it's 1.8 again? Maybe. But um, yeah, just on the basis of that, it looks like it's closed up a little bit, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to track how that evolves because Bahrain tends to be one where gaps can be quite a bit closer and then you go somewhere else like Australia, for example, where gaps tend to get a bit extended. So it's going to take a bit of time for us to get a fair picture of that as we go to various different circuits through the the year. What else in the midfield? We've mentioned Alpine a few times, Scott. Why, why so convinced Alpine are in that breaking away zone and how will they get on with their Gasly-Ocon partnership? Well, one factor is what I've already touched on, which is that they were the best team in the midfield last year. They had a really good grasp, it felt, of this rule set, what was needed. They had their car in a good window and they sort of understood where to take it. And this year's car looks like a really good evolution of that. It makes a lot of sense. Everything that they're talking about, it's just, it's clear. There's a, there just seems to be a clear picture there. So it just, I don't see how that would suddenly translate into them dropping the ball hugely, making a massive mistake and slipping back. So that's one, It's that's just, from brute logic, basically. Two is, yes, the car had moments where it looked a bit of a handful during the test. It looked a lot stiffer than anything else I saw coming past, particularly into turn 10, where it seemed to be unsettled by a bump through turn nine in a way, vis- visibly in a way that the other cars weren't. But it never looked bad. It never looked really bad. And once it was in longer runs, it it, it looked broadly comparable to the Aston Martin but maybe just a little bit worse so there was a visual aspect where I was like this is a bit peculiar but it doesn't look slow and then there's the third element which we talked about on the testing podcast which is that everything that the team said just had the air of a of a team that had done a lot of its running on high fuel and probably did its performance running on a low engine mode that it then knew if we crank the engine up by x we will get y lap time out of it so I just get the impression that it was the most out of place team. It was probably the team that was, I hate the word, but it's the easiest word to use now. It was sandbagging the most in terms of the work that it was doing wasn't conducive to showing its hand in performance terms. It was, it, it it's just a lot better. There, there, there's no reason. When you look at the other teams that are at the bottom, when you look at our rankings or the leaderboard, they, they're there for a reason. There are obvious signs that explain that away. With the Alpine, the only thing going against them was that they just didn't do the lap time. But there are reasons for that that mitigate it. I don't think they're necessarily making the massive step forward they want to make straight away because they've got ambitions of cutting the gap to the top three. They want to be closer to third this year than fifth, which is a huge ambition to set. I don't think they're going to be quite there, but I don't think they're going to be swallowed up by the midfield either. Anybody going to tip any surprises for the Bahrain weekend based on what we've seen in testing or rather going against what we've seen in testing? The one I might go for is I might go for Valtteri Bottas nipping into Q3 because I quite like that alpha. And although we've kind of got five teams that should make up that, I I quite like the look of the alpha. It just looks like a car that gives the drivers confidence and, and does what they want it to do, which is encouraging. I might go for Felipe Drugovic debut points if he stands in for, for Stroll. Not... And that might not sound like a huge reach if we're talking about that car potentially being the third or fourth fastest. But I think Drugovic will be underrated. Uh, he's a Formula 2 champion, but I don't think he's someone who steps into F1 with a, even with a reputation of Oscar Piastri, for example. Um, 
so he flies under the radar from that sense. He hasn't had a huge amount of preparation time. He did the two half days, but the first one was beset by an electrical problem. So I think he only did 34 laps or something on that first half day. So I think he's done a century in total, which is perfectly decent amount of, of preparation, but it's not enough for a rookie. And he's done a few days in the simulator, but there's just a lot of unknowns and it's a huge ask to step in super competitive midfield. It's all a little bit jumbled, but I think he's a good driver. I think that's a good car. And I think he's really level headed and calm and I can just see him picking his way. I think if he does drive somewhere in Q2 and then just a nice steady drive, picking off a few people, doing quite well, keeping out of trouble, picking up a, a healthy ninth or 10th. Well, you can guarantee that there will be a few surprises in Bahrain this weekend. The opening Grand Prix of the season is always a great time. So thanks very much, Scott Mitchell-Malm and to Mark Hughes for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen, plenty to read there. And also listen to our sister podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, our Formula E and IndyCar podcast. And also check out our YouTube channel. The new season is finally upon us. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.